It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk baseball? We do. It's a Monday. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host John Riley from our studios in San Diego. We welcome you to bonus podcast coverage, San Diego Padre Baseball on a Monday afternoon. John, only words I can use to describe the emotion of the community he did it again. We're talking about Peter Seidler. We're talking about the San Diego Padres. They did it again. Another huge investment in a player. Wow. Wow. I mean, the, the community is on fire. Everyone is so excited. The season's starting. And it's like it's almost surreal considering the history of this franchise and how long we've suffered and so many penny-pinching owners. And now we've got... You know, like God Almighty owns the team and is funding every little nook and cranny of this roster. It's just a great time to be a Padre fan. We're going to go a lot of different directions related to the Manny Machado signing. But before we do, John, explain very briefly for all the people with us on our live stream about how they can get involved right at the end of the live stream, because we want you to be part of our fans forum. Talk about that. Talk about the subscriptions. Okay, sure enough. So, yeah, you can get involved in the fans forum. Just type in your questions or comments for Hacksaw. Maybe you have a take on Manny Machado's contract. You know, just share your thoughts and opinions on the live stream on either Facebook or on YouTube in the live chat. We'll get you involved in the fans forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. And, yeah, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including here on YouTube. And a reminder, go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I wrote a one-man's opinion column about the Padres, money, Manny, and the ownership of Peter Seidler. Go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. It's all written. Punch up the one-man's opinion page. Check everything out that I write because I write every day. Okay, we've got a lot of different angles to cover to talk about Manny Machado's 11-year contract extension worth 350 bills. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of money. So, um, you, you, again, we, we're wondering... How is Peter Seidler coming up with all this money? Well, I would love to see the financial model for the team in the backroom office with the CFO of the Padres. How are they making it work? But on this side of the fence, as a fan, I can't be more than excited. Okay, just briefly before we go to specifics, I thought they would continue to talk despite what Manny Machado said a week ago. Mm -hmm. A week ago, he said, I'm going to opt out. I'm going to be a free agent. I'm not going to talk anymore. We closed last week's podcast with my theory that the Padres should turn around and offer him five years, $200 million, $40 million extension on top of what he already has. That would have got him to the average salary. Well, I wasn't sure they were going to do that. Well, they, they came close. They gave him a significant amount of money on this extension. Were you surprised the Padres went back to the table and said, come on, here, let, let's push more money to the table do you want to stay here or not? You know, I, I thought all along they were going to work it out, right? Because I thought Peter Seiler has made it clear that he wanted to keep Manny. He said this months ago um, that he wants to hold on to these players. And you, did, you weren't sure how he was going to do it, what kind of strings he was going to have to pull. I had confidence that they were going to make it work. I didn't expect it to happen so quickly. I figured, you know, maybe... Later in March, maybe in early April, I didn't expect this to drag on into the season and become a distraction. But it looks like the Padres got their man, and Manny is going to retire as a Padre. Okay, let's let's look at some numbers here. Let's start with what would have been uh, question number one about Peter Seidler. Look at the money that's been spent in free agent signings since the winter baseball meetings. The Padres have two of the top four contracts that have been signed in all of Major League Baseball, and that does not include what they gave you, Darvish. Obviously, it does not include what they gave Fernando Tatis prior, what they gave Joe Musgrove last year during the season, what they gave Machado the first contract he came here, and by what they started out with when they, they gave big money to Eric Hosmer and Will Myers. Enormous expenditure of money by owner Peter Seidler. Seidler does it again. But two of the top four contracts in baseball written in the last couple of months have come with a postmark that says San Diego. No longer small market San Diego Padre Baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. I mean, isn't this great? I mean, the uh, the Padres have just stepped up to the plate. I mean, 
they're the number three payroll, I think, in all of baseball. And what are we as a media market? We're probably in the mid-20s out of 30 teams. So uh, this is incredible what they're doing. It makes you wonder, are they, are they proving that there's a new way to manage a baseball franchise? Or is Peter Seidler just going into his own personal assets and liquidating them to get a championship here in San Diego? I'm going to detail the Padre Blueprint right at the end of our podcast because I have a segment here that I want you to pay attention to. Okay. In the history of Padre Baseball. Mm-hmm. Great owners. Oh, yeah. Ray Kroc saved the team from going to Washington, D.C. Did spend an enormous amount of money in the era of Raleigh Fingers and all those guys. A Ray Kroc, hero. John Morris, Larry Lacchino, hero. They bought the franchise from Tom Werner and the Terrible 15. They got Petco Park built. Here came Kevin Brown and all those guys. They did get back to a World Series. Hero 3, Peter Seidler, and what he's done in the last 36 months with Padre Baseball, because now I think we can't wait for Brown October Padres <laughs> yeah. World Series games. I mean, so we've had three real significant impact owners in the history of Padre Baseball, mm-hmm. and this guy's got the opportunity now to take this thing back where the other two owners led their teams, what Croc did, what Lakino and Moores did, World Series. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, but just think about the San Diego sports and how many bad owners we've had here. I mean, going through the Spanoses and and uh, Donald Sterling's and Jeff Morad's and Tom Warner. I mean, we've had a struggle here in town. It's wonderful to have one of the top owners in sports here in San Diego. Padres payroll as of lunchtime today, two hundred fifty-four million. Padre overall number is two seventy-four. That pushes them over the third tier of the luxury tax. So they're going to have to write some checks if they stay above 273. That's that's the top limit. Padres have now crossed that threshold. They have all season because the collective bargaining agreement says the tax is not determined till the final day of the regular season and what your, is on your roster. So the Padres, if they were to make a deal, if they were to shed some payroll, uh, if they get a hot young guy and they move a veteran off the roster, they might still get below the 273 threshold. But right now, the Padres for the tax luxury tax number is at $274 million. That's not small market. No, it's not at all. And I'm curious to see what the actual numbers come out on the Machado contract. Because, you know, when they structured Darvis's contract, they, they set it up so they could spend a little more money this year. Wouldn't it be interesting if Manny kind of deferred a little bit so they could squeak under that that uh, tax um, limit, you know, that, that tax cap? Um, I, I'm kind of curious to see if that's going to actually be the case. The luxury tax number is predicated on average salary per year. Mm-hmm. That's why Manny wound up with 11 years. So you take 11 years into the max total, his contract number is $31.1 million. It's not $38 million, It's not $40 million. It's $31.1 as it relates to the luxury tax. But mm. I wasn't good in arithmetic. You were terrible in algebra. <laughs> and I'm not going to confuse all of our viewers yeah. on the live okay. stream about that. Just understand They've walked into territory they have never, ever walked into with San Diego Padre Baseball with a 254 payroll and a 274 tax number. We'll see if they're done. We'll see if there's any more breathing room as it relates to make a trade at the trading deadline to make the final push to the pennant to the World Series. Only time will tell on that. Let's go to the next question. Okay, so um, we were talking about Manny Machado as – you know, he's going to retire as a Padre. He's going to spend more of his years here in San Diego than he did with any of the other teams. Is he set up to be a Hall of Famer? Do you think he's going to retire with a San Diego ball cap in Cooperstown? He's already indicated that he and he believes because Manny Machado has bet on himself. He bet on himself with a bold statement. I'm going into free agency. He bet on himself by signing this contract, the first contract in San Diego where they'd never done this before. He bet on himself again to bypass free agency to go somewhere else to be the cornerstone here. If he stays healthy, I, I, don't, I see no reason why he would not be considered a Hall of Fame third baseman. His war numbers, wins against replacement, are higher than all the other third basemen that are in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So if he continues on this track, maybe the next five years, I think there's a real distinct possibility that we're talking Cooperstown. 
Uh, he is a career 282 hitter, 283 career home runs, uh, nine times all-star. Uh, this guy has been a gold glover three times. His other numbers are just, they're rock-solid consistent. And the other thing is, not only does he hit with power, hit for average, play gold glove third base, John, unlike you and me, he goes to work every day. John, he's <laughs> yeah. played in his career, he's played over 150 games nine times mm-hmm. in his baseball career. So you got Manny from Baltimore, Manny for the brief tenure with the Dodgers, Manny Cornerstone with the San Diego Padres. So yeah, if you look at the raw numbers, and there's a consistency there, he's only been on the disabled list once, and that was back in 2014. And when you consider the wear and tear factor on players, what a phenomenal physical specimen Manny Machado is, and what he's turned himself into. It's just, to me, he's checks off all the boxes superstar. Yeah, I mean he's it was well there's a number of layers to this because on one level, you know, this guy is a you know physically is a specimen. I mean, he's a really tall guy. It's mm-hmm. you know, you, sometimes you don't really realize it because a lot of third basemen like Justin Turner is actually pretty small. But you know, Machado's 6-3, the dude is built. He takes care of his body. He's going to be a good long-term investment for the team. But mentally, his attitude and his, um, I guess, his self-esteem about how he believes in himself, he doesn't want to go on the DL. That's why when he twisted his ankle last season, he kept playing. And you know, he DH and he refused to go on the DL because it meant so much to him. A lot of other players would have just checked out for like 30 days, not Machado. Uh, very impressive. When he got hurt at first base on that ground ball, I thought, uh-oh. I thought he might have dislocated his ankle initially when you saw how it bent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, I mean, he was out of the lineup for a while. Then he came back, and they you could see in his gait trying to run. He wasn't totally healthy. But just an impressive, impressive player. And to me, and I think this is a subliminal part of the story, very much a change player. Next question. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about his earlier days because he was in Baltimore. Then he went to L.A. for a couple of months. But even in Baltimore, when he first came up, we were amazed at his talent. But he was still kind of framed as a bad guy. I mean, so he's changed, right? I think he's changed a great deal. Manny in Baltimore was a young star that got there at 20, and he had a lot of success. But the relationships between him and people within that organization got frayed. Relationships with the media were really bad. And I think by the time they got to the end of the run in Baltimore, people were glad he was going to be gone. Uh, Manny Manny played played well. Team didn't play well. Team was falling apart around him. He was kind of the last man off the boat as the thing was going down because ownership let it fall apart and started to treat it like it was a small market team. And then when he indicated, I'm leaving. I'm leaving as a free agent. I'm not going to stay in Baltimore. Then the community turned on him. And, and yet, one hand, he's talking about the legacy of Oriole baseball and Earl Weaver and Jim Palmer and Brooks Robinson. And then on the other hand, he's talking about me, what I want. I'm going to be a free agent. I'm not going to stay here. I mean, the community really turned on him. Then he goes to Dodger Stadium. He only played 66 games with the Dodgers. It was a bold acquisition. I, I kind of thought the Dodgers were getting him to sign him to a long-term extension because they always make deals to get superstars, and it didn't work out. And he didn't play well for a chunk of time. And then towards the end of the season, all this junk came up about how he conducted his business in Baltimore and didn't run out ground balls and took plays off or just seemed lackadaisical. He came up with a comment that stung everybody. He says, I'm not Johnny Hustle. I'll do it when I want to do it. I'm not Johnny Hustle. And that offended so many people in Los Angeles, including everybody upstairs. And then obviously he was out the door as a free agent. There's not a lot of guys that walk out of Dodger Stadium and leave a real first class organization. So there was there was a lot of baggage 
And so he brought all that into the Padre clubhouse, and I looked at him and said, well, this is going to be interesting to see. Uh, did he sign here because he wanted to be here, or did he sign here because this was the only one that offered him $30 million per year on a 10-year, on a 300 mil contract? And his relationships didn't start out real strong. I, I had a rocky relationship with him early, and I was kind of offended with his attitude towards me. And why? Well, I'm just asking baseball-related questions. I think the thing that's confusing about Manny is a game comes so easy to him. He glides. Some people may interpret that as not getting dirt on the front of your uniform. The game is easy for him to play defensively, offensively, intellectually. He's just kind of at peace. And I think maybe people inherited his style just on body language, which I think I tend to think is really unfair. But I think I think he has really evolved in a different player. And I'll tell you why when we get to the next question. But your response to the picture I just portrayed about what it was like Camden Yards, Baltimore, what it was like Dodger Stadium, and kind of what he did, what he said at the end of each of his tenures. Well, you know, here I am. I'm a National League West fan, right? And and we don't see much of the American League at all. And the Baltimore Orioles were in the you know basement of the AL East. So I just heard about Machado. I saw some highlights about Machado. I hear people chirping about him, but I didn't really know much about him until he got really close to free agency and he became much more of a focal point. I think I think a lot of that goes to his youth, um, you know, as far as, you know, not having haven't fully grown up as a man. I think other parts of it is that, yeah, Baltimore was a bad situation for him. And he knew that. And and this is kind of the era of, you know, social media and people are out there and they speak their mind and he didn't pull any punches. Now, he comes to L.A. I mean, I kind of saw that coming because I think Seeger got hurt. Right. So they needed a shortstop. This Johnny Hustle comment, when when it first came out on its surface, it sounds terrible. You know, it's especially for the old school, traditional baseball guys, because you're indirectly mocking Pete Rose. I mean, of all people, when you're you, mocking, say, and Garvey and all the other great Dodgers, are oh, you not? Yeah, yeah, all of them, too. So but when you when you kind of understand Manny, you you kind of get it because he's not going to be a you know, there's some guys that will hustle in sort of a showboat way, knowing full well they're going to be out, but they just do it just to kind of do it. And he just doesn't want to play that game. So as he has come onto the Padres, we understand him more. We kind of get it because he does kind of go to a beat of a different drum. And to your point, he does, the game comes so easily to him. But we know that when there are big moments, Manny will step up, not just with the glove, not just with the bat, but also with the legs. He'll step up. And if there's a routine grounder to short and he's only going at 60% up the line, I'm not too worried about that. Okay. That leads to the next question because I happen to think Manny Machado is a different player and a different person now. Oh, yeah. I mean, because remember that incident that happened, what was it, last year or the year before? It was two years ago where he got into the argument with Fernando Tatis. And suddenly it seemed like the old Manny was arguing with the young Manny, you know, in Mm -hmm. the dugout. So a lot has changed in his career. He's a new man. He's a leader on this team. He is. And I think for a reason that I'm going to point out. I think the arrival of Tatis as a budding young star and how well Tatis was received in our community when he was doing everything right, his 42 home run season, when he came through the farm system, when he got here, how dynamic he was, and the fact that he was playing with personality and vibrance at shortstop, and Manny was at third base. And everybody was focusing the spotlight on Tatis, and Manny was kind of in the shadow. I think the arrival of Tatis made Manny Machado a better player. I think it really Mm. pushed him to the limit. Now, this is a guy with just an unbelievable world of talent, but I think he had to react because of what he saw from Tatis and the popularity of Tatis. And bingo, Manny took it to the next level, if there's a level you can take it to. And you mentioned a vibrant point about what happened in that dugout when Tatis was frustrated throwing tantrums and Manny got into his face and the whole world saw it. I I was anchoring on TV, on on KUSI, and I said, wow, look at this. Look at this explosion. Mm -hmm. I, I think he became a leader at that point in time, and he has become a spokesman ever since that incident. And I think now he's viewed very differently in that clubhouse. I also think the arrival of Soto 
coming from Washington as a potential big money free agent, home run hitter, etc., has just kept Manny on the straight and narrow that he's going to take care of his five square feet of real estate and play as hard as he can. But also now he's going to become a leader with all these other guys in that dugout, in that clubhouse. And I think Bob Melvin, I think Melvin's had some conversations with Manny because as we've alluded to, there's nothing in baseball that Bob Melvin has not walked through, <laughs> stepped right. around, stepped over, accomplished. Mm-hmm. We're talking about guys got over 1,300 career wins now. We're talking about playoffs, World Series, places that Manny really hasn't been at very often. I think that the communication between veteran manager as compared to the guys before him, the Andy Greens of the world and the guy that came after Andy Green. Yeah. It didn't work out. <laughs> so I, I think this is a veteran leader who's seen it all, communicating with a third baseman who's accomplished all. I think there's kind of a uh, some type of chemistry there that works. So I think Tatis Soto and Bob Melvin have made Manny Machado a different person, if not even a better player. I, I think that's a good call, Hacksaw, because when he was in in Baltimore, I mean, he was the star of the team. He, he's often talked about how J.J. Hardy helped him out on the left side of the infield because Hardy was playing short. But that team didn't have any stars. That team didn't have any, as far as I can recall, any big-time veteran presence on that team. So here you've got this one you know, superstar, young prima donna on a team of journeymen. It, it was kind of like an odd fit. Now he comes to San Diego. He can see that. He can see himself in Tatis, and he can see that he can maybe help Tatis get through what he had trouble getting through. And then he's in a position now where they look up to him. The rest of the whole team looks to him. I mean, he's the captain of the team, even though he doesn't wear the C on his shirt. And then, yeah, to your point, Melvin is also another guiding point. So all these different players provide this equilibrium that allows Machado to be comfortable and to be stress-free and to go out there. And as he always says, I just want to play baseball. And that's what he does. And that's how he's getting paid. It's perfect. I was bothered when when he made his announcement. We talked about it a week ago on our podcast here when he made the announcement, I'm going to opt out, be a free agent. I just didn't understand. Why would you do this at that point? Because now you can create a talking point every minute of every dugout session with the media. Why would you do that? And it just kind of bothered me because all of a sudden it started to look like Mr. Me, Myself, and I all over again. Kind of the same junk that was going down in Baltimore. And it's what all happened theater. To, uh, well, <laughs> it's theater, and I critiqued it as, okay. <laughs> as a theater critic. Uh, but they solved it, and he's here. Now, before we go to the next topic, because we're going to talk about the other people's reactions to what Peter Seidler has done. Again, remind everybody about joining us, Fans Forum. Subscribing to get all the information on our podcast weekly. Okay, yeah. So subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we got Hacksaw's headlines on just about every audio-only podcast platform. Google, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I mean, just every one of them. So be sure to subscribe there. Subscribe on YouTube, get all the alerts, and, you know, follow Hacksaw on social media, Facebook, YouTube, and subscribe here on Twitter. And Hacksaw is also on TikTok and Instagram. We're we're expanding the worldwide reach of Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Um, Now, at the same time, you can get involved in the Fans Forum segment. Just drop your questions or comments. We already got a couple of them that have come in. Uh, your thoughts about the Manny Machado contract, leave it in the live chat on either Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get you involved in the discussion. And you want to read my one man's opinion column that I wrote to Peter Seidler? Go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Punch up the one man's opinion page. Check my website every day. Invite you to tweet, text, message, email your friends. Tell them what we're doing with our podcast and our brand new website. Okay, everybody's got an opinion about what just happened in San Diego. Let's start there. Yeah, so, you know... We talked about this before where the league is reacting. The the commissioner has been reacting to all this money being spent. But you had expressed that there's a lot of other teams that are just not pulling their weight. So, I mean, if if you were in charge of Major League Baseball, Hacksaw, I mean, what would you do to kind of fix this economic problem? Well, Rob Manfred is the one that brought this topic up just two weeks ago on his tour of the spring training camps. MLB's got problems. They've got impro- they've got problems with different levels of revenue stream. They've surely got problems with the spending fortunes of some of these owners in the smaller markets. 
you look at the lowest payrolls in baseball. These guys are all getting the equal share of the TV national revenue. These guys, the bottom seven teams, are all getting, quote, revenue share money from the big money franchises, the Yankees and the Mets and the Red Sox and the Cubs, and now San Diego will be paying <laughs> yeah. into that fund. <laughs> look at the payrolls of these teams compared to where the Padres payroll is now at 254 or the Yankee payroll is in the 270s or the Mets payroll, which is in another galaxy, $324 million this season. All those guys are getting TV money and revenue share money from everybody else, and they're not spending it. They're not signing any type of veteran free agent, whether it would be a superstar, a.k.a. Manny Machado, or be a bottom-level free agent like Craig Stammen, they're not spending any money on anything. And that, to me, is appalling. And that falls at the front door of Rob Manfred. What baseball really needs to do is to legislate the distribution of money with a demand that you're taking revenue share money, you're going to spend on players. And we're going to establish not a salary cap at top of Florida spending. Mm-hmm. You have to spend. The average, the mid-level of all baseball payrolls is $148 million. That's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. That should be the floor to spending. So that means the Oakland A's and the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Orioles and Tampa Bay need to spend to $148 million. And what, what that allows, it makes everybody available to go to every team. So a guy that might have never considered the Pittsburgh Pirates of the Oakland A's or small market Tampa would go there because Tampa has to spend to get to the floor, $148 million. More money, mid-level free agents. There's good ball players. Maybe they're not going to be $30 million ball players, but there's good ball players to be going to all these teams. And the bottom line is all those franchises would get better because they're having better players on their roster because they have to pay more to spend to the floor. Mm-hmm. If I were king, that's how I would solve baseball's problem. Your your reaction. Yeah, this is an interesting topic because um, we don't really know behind the curtain what the profitability of all these teams are. You know, are they are they, you know, only spending 38 million and just putting another 100 million in their pocket at the end of the year or not? Now, but each of these teams has a story. There's a situation like the Oakland A's. They've had a fire sale. They are, you know, allegedly going to be moving. I don't know if there's going to be a sale of the franchise if they move, but that's a team in transition. The next one on the list were the Pirates. And to me, that's a disgrace. I mean, they've got that uh, player, Brian Reynolds, on their team that they are refusing to pay market rate. This is a star. He's frustrated. He's asking for a trade. They've got a beautiful ballpark. They've made big upgrades in that stadium. Um, and they're just not spending the money. Who are the other teams that are on the list? Baltimore has got a lot of young talent coming up. Okay, maybe they're kind of bringing up a you know a, a wave of young guys. Um, Cleveland's on that list. They're in the playoffs. I mean, they're doing pretty good. Um, same with the Rays. But um, yeah, to your point, these if if, if the lower tier teams were spending at a floor, then we would see a lot more economic opportunity for free agency. Exactly. And what makes the National Football League success? The competitive balance. That's the big issue because they have a floor. Mm -hmm. You have to spend close to the salary cap. More money available for more players to go to these other places, get the chance to play, become a star. And by the way, make the Detroit Lions of the NFL (laughs) a better franchise. Yeah, yeah. That's a solution, but it's got to be negotiated through the next guy that we're going to talk about, the union leader. Okay, so, yeah, then we're going to talk a little bit here about about Tony Clark, but this union is incredible. The Major League Players uh, Union has just had an amazing history. Um, You know, running their their players' um, guild, if you want to call it that, but do you think that the players are ever going to agree to a salary cap? Are they even, I mean, I'm sure they'll want a floor, but will they ever go for a cap or is that just never going to happen? Okay, that's the topic that's being discussed right now. Baseball this past week just formed the Economic Reform Committee. They are, that includes owners, that includes front office executives, it includes union representatives. That group will examine the revenue stream problem, the expenditure problem to acquire players, and what the methodology should be to make baseball better and make more money available. Tony Clark, last night in Arizona, said, I'm against this committee because this committee is here for one purpose, salary cap. 
we will never agree to a salary cap. John, I don't know if you've ever been involved with union negotiations, but I've been a union member in radio and television. Mm-hmm. Once you get something in negotiations, pal, you don't ever give it back. Mm-hmm. There is no salary cap. I don't think there'll ever be a salary cap in baseball. But the luxury tax, to a degree, acts as a salary cap. Guys want to go over it? Fine. You pay a tax. You can afford to pay tax? That's okay. The problem is that Clark refuses to negotiate to a floor of spending because he says, if I agree to a floor of spending, they're going to want a cap. No. You just tell Manfred, the cap is not going to be discussed. Now, let's talk about how we shuffle the money around the table. Let's talk about a floor of spending. So Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and Baltimore and Kansas City and Detroit and the whole litany of bottom spending teams – have to take all this money in and then have to put it back into player payroll. Tony needs to think not only about the amount of money that Juan Soto is going to get as a free agent or what Manny just got. Tony Clark needs to think because the union represents a whole ton of pitchers at the bottom of pitching staffs and a whole ton of infielders and outfielders and catchers and backup guys are going to be free agents. He needs to make sure that they get paid accordingly. And the way you do it is with a Florida spending. And the way to do it is you force the owner in Oakland, Milwaukee, Kansas City, San Diego, or Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Miami, Tampa Bay. You force them to spend to a floor so more money is available for all those clients at the bottom end of the list who are baseball players and members of, of the union. Reaction? So to your point, um, yeah, we I agree with you on the floor part, but – as far as the cap goes, Major League Baseball is making so much money. I mean, there's so much revenue pouring into the sport. The cap will go up every year. Well, but, but even if it – well, yeah, it will definitely it would go up if it existed. But when you, when you have a, such floods of money coming in, it would be ludicrous for the players' union to cap their salary. So I can see why they would say that in their negotiation. Um, but the 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 – the situation is tricky because remember they were going to – it was the DH. Remember they weren't sure if they were going to approve the DH or not because they wanted to use that as leverage in some of these negotiations. I mean what what levers do the players union have to pull right now? Well, maybe you get rid of arbitration. That has already been discussed. We'll give you back arbitration because it doesn't impact a lot of players. It might impact 15 to 18 players per year. Most everybody who is arbitration eligible is now signing contracts with pay bumps rather than going to arbitration and maybe have a risk that it turns out to be a bad, bad decision or maybe bad dialogue at the table during the course of the hearings and you offend Corbin Burns, the ace of the Milwaukee pitching staff. So they might give them back arbitration. Maybe they'll make some adjustments with the luxury tax. You know, luxury tax threshold has gone up every year as the gross revenues have gone up every year. Hmm, Okay. So it's kind of, that is a pseudo salary cap, but it's continued to increase. So uh, there's just got to be a common bond because they need to be in business together for the good of the game. It can't be open warfare Every mm-hmm. time they open uh, the CBA, it is interesting. Tony Clark's closing comment last night over in the Cactus League was San Diego Padres deserve compliments, not criticism for what they've done. Yeah. What Tony Clark should have said is compliments to Peter Seidler. I want to see Miami and I want to see Tampa and I want to see Kansas City and all these other small market teams handle their business the way this guy has handled business in San Diego. Yeah, and I, and, the, and the fans in those cities would fully agree with you because they want their teams to be competitive as well. Um, but it is it is odd. I mean, with the, all these teams are making money at the gate, they're all getting TV revenue share. Now, granted, it varies because of these regional deals, but the revenue that's flowing into the Oakland A's or the Arizona Diamondbacks, I mean, that's still hundreds of millions of dollars. So how can they actually do business, you know, with 30 or $40 million payrolls? I mean, it just doesn't seem logical. It's clear that the owners don't want to win. It's clear to me that Manfred does not have the brass to call out all these owners that are putting all that money, as you allude to, in their pocket rather than investing it in star players. Okay, that takes us, we circle back, final question here, to the San Diego market. Go ahead. Okay, so we were talking about Peter Seidler and the things that he's done. 
I'm sure all the other owners are either angry that he's spending so much making them look bad. Other owners are probably going, how in the heck is this guy doing it? You know, and especially for us as fans in San Diego, how can this guy pull this off when all of our previous owners have never come close? Okay, here's the headline. Peter Seidler, terrible distaste for the word checkbook baseball. Peter Seidler's blueprint is this. I'm going to invest in my general manager, and we're going to spend an enormous amount of money in scouting. I call it boots on the ground. A.J. Preller's got scouts everywhere. That's item one, big investment. Then we're going to sign all these draft picks, and if we have to overpay them, we'll do that. And Preller surely did. He paid unbelievable amounts of money because it also included a, a tax penalty when he signed Adrian Morion. That's a $22 million investment, five years in, that really has not bore fruit mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. Jorge Oña, Cuban outfielder, that was a $14 million investment. Seven plus seven penalty, he's still in the minor leagues. They signed Cal Quantrill out of Stanford after just one year. Way overpaid him to get him to commit coming off elbow surgery. Had him here, traded him. He's one of the frontline guys in Cleveland. They did that with virtually everybody. So Seidler poured all that money into the farm system. And then, of course, they made the deals. It didn't work out. The Matt Kemp's, the James Shields, the Justin Upton disgrace and all that. And then they had to pay money to get clubs to take those guys. Peter Seidler's whole philosophy and blueprint is we will invest. We will start to win in this market. This market, John, is different than any other market in baseball. Follow, follow the, connect the dots here. <laughs> You're in Pittsburgh, small market. Who do you compete for the sports dollar in Pittsburgh with? Steelers, mm-hmm. Penguins, Pitt Panthers. You're in Kansas City. You're not front and center in anybody's mind. Who do you compete with? Kansas City Chiefs and Big 12 football. Uh, you're in Milwaukee, small market. You're competing against the Packers and the champion Milwaukee Bucks. It's a big issue. San Diego, you're not competing against anybody. When the Chargers left here in the middle of the night and Spanos pulled his team out of here in 2017, the Padres became the only show in town. The Padres had great corporate sponsorship all along the trail, historically, for 50-plus years, whether they were good or bad, it was a pretty good baseball city. They then inherited, they went out, and they got the lists of all the Charger season ticket holders and the Charger corporate sponsors. And those guys are now part and parcel, part of sponsorship at Petco Park. Mm -hmm. On top of all that, San Diego is different than Chicago, Boston, New York, Detroit. San Diego is a melting pot of people from everywhere. Hell, you got deported from San Francisco. <laughs> I relocated from Long Island. Mm-hmm. San Diego not only has its own hardcore Padre fans, but every time there's a road game that comes in here and they're playing the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Pirates, the White Sox, Mets and Yankees for sure. You think there are a few of their colors, their jerseys in that stadium? Oh, yeah. Everybody comes to see the team that they never left back home. Yeah, they may have moved here, but there's an emotional attachment to being a Yankee or a Met fan, and now I'm going to see the Padres play the Mets and the Yankees when they're here in the yard, and that's why you got so much. I told Peter Seidler, and I, I told Ron Fowler, I said, if you build a winner, you'll draw $3 million. It's a baseball community. If you win, you will get every fan who wants to be part of the experience down to the gas lamp quarter. And you'll still get the Met and the Yankee and Dodger fans and the Giant fans and all those people who come more in their colors. This is such a unique, different market. There's nobody to compete with. San Diego State missed the opportunity uh, to, to grab Charger fan and make a Mastic fan. Totally blew it. That's why Snapdragon Stadium was half empty virtually all last season. So Seidler's got this blueprint of invest win enormous revenue streams 
by virtue of our past corporate sponsors, the Charger corporate sponsors, tremendous revenue stream as it relates to the fans, 3 million fans per game, including all those out-of-town fans wearing the Red Sox logo. He's, he's got a, a, a blueprint here, and they continue to win and build. They're going to be able to continue to do this kind of $254 million a year business. It's a unique blueprint. Maybe you, maybe you can't put it into gear in Detroit, you know, because they got the Pistons and the Red Wings and the Detroit Lions and Michigan football. But in San Diego, they are the only show in town. So I think that's why they created this. Now, it takes takes brass to do what he did, to invest all of his wealth, push it to the middle of the table. But you can see, if you connect the dots, all the business dots here, how this could work if you continue to win. So that's the blueprint that I think is out there. They own this market financially. They obviously own this market emotionally right now. Yeah, that's actually a great analysis because there are so few markets that are like this. I was thinking in my head, what other markets maybe have only one major team? Maybe New Orleans, maybe Salt Lake City. I mean, there's not very many examples of that. Um, What he has here in front of him is just this tremendous opportunity to not only build a championship and be a legacy in San Diego, but maybe to make a lot of money in the end because these fans are flocking to the stadium. Going to Petco Park is like a party every time you go there. So what he's done is spectacular. And yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking to myself, what other what other teams are in that situation? Very, very few. Yeah, you go up and down the roadmap, there's hardly any. You know, just Seattle. They got the Seahawks and University of Washington Huskies. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously L.A. is so big, you got all those franchises there. Anaheim might be in that same scenario because mm-hmm. they're kind of boxed in. Yeah, Anaheim is kind of locked into Orange County now. You know, and I should, I should have mentioned geography because not only the Padres have all these fans from all these cities that are living here now, Padres have the ability to draw people up the I-15 corridor, and people come down from up north to here. Mm-hmm. And if, if they add more Hispanic players, they've got people coming across the border, I'm sure, uh, from Mexico that love Major League Baseball. This is such a uniquely different solo market. They're the only show in town. Well, how about back when you were doing the the Charger games at Qualcomm Stadium? There was always a huge contingent of Raiders fans, of Broncos fans, of Chiefs fans. They would come out to these games because everybody is from somewhere else, right? So that's a that's a great formula for success. Here we go. Time for fans form. We're looking for co-host here because we think it's just this is an unbelievable story. We've never had this type of expectation before as to what Padre baseball might be. Uh, and the town has just been electrified by this ownership and what he has done. So you got questions from fans who want to make statements here? Go ahead, John. Okay, so let's get Emmanuel Najera here involved. He says, so it took $350 million for Manny Machado to change his mind about opting out. Good for Manny. Well, good for Manny because, as Peter Seidler said, Manny has earned this right to either opt out or ask for the magic dollar number because of what he's accomplished over the course of his career. Uh, Now, Manny came to San Diego, let's be very honest, just like Eric Hosmer came to San Diego, let's be very honest, because they were paid an amount of money nobody else was going to pay him. Mm -hmm. So they came for the payday. Hosmer did not work out. Manny has worked out. Manny could have gone on the open market and elected because he was being given a state-of-the-art money averaging 31-plus mil for the next 11 years with a full no trade, stay here. I like living in San Diego. He wasn't going to get it going home to Miami, not not with that Marlins ownership. And I, I don't know how many, you know, maybe the Mets, maybe the Yankees would have done something, but that's living in New York, and that's a whole whole different atmosphere there. So Manny, Manny earned this along the way. So I don't begrudge him the money. I do think the money is unbelievable. I don't know what's going to happen with Juan Soto next. I don't know how many more $40 million deals Peter Seidler has in his checking account for Juan Soto. But at this point, we got two years to win this thing in the World Series before things could change along the way. Yeah. Well, remember when he uh, said I was going to opt out? Um, on Twitter, all the fan bases around Major League Baseball all had 
Twitter feeds with pictures of Machado in a Mets uniform or Machado in whatever team. You know, everyone was salivating for this guy, but it was all this game that was being played as they led up to this contract. But in our last podcast, you said that maybe, you know, Peter Seidler is kind of tapped out. This is maybe all he has. Well, it looked like he had a little bit more or a lot more, 350 million more for Manny. Yeah. Now the question is, can they get Tatis? I know a lot of fans are thinking the sky is unlimited. We're going to get Tatis. I'm not Tatis, excuse me. Soto. We're going to get Soto and we're going to get Otani and we're going to get the whole world coming here. And I just kind of uh, wishful thinking, but it makes you wonder what's next because every time we've been surprised and the more we keep getting surprised, the more we think that this is the way they're doing business. Well, it is. Understand that new math, which is foreign to me, and I know you know nothing about new math because you cut class to go have a beer. Um the new math allows you to creatively move money around. So the new math allowed them to go to an 11-year contract with the average salary, which then is used to configure what your luxury tax number is. So that's why they went to this 11-year deal for Manny and why they went to the 11-year number for Xander Bogarts. So you got new math. The other thing is you got veteran players who might be coming off contracts. You know, Blake Snell, $13, 16000000 million this year. You know, maybe maybe he's not part of the equation a year from now. He is up and down, hot and cold. Maybe you got young pitchers in the pipeline about ready to take the step. So you move some of Blake Snell's money and you put it in this box towards Juan Soto. Mm-hmm. And you got other guy, other veteran guys. Maybe, yeah, Drew, you know, Drew Pomerantz. Well, Drew Pomerantz, 15 million becomes available. Yeah. Josh Hader, final year of his deal. Does he go away? Because maybe you got some other hot young arm. It's going to be the closers. Then Suarez. Robert Suarez. Yeah, yeah. So there's a creative aspect to how you configure getting to whatever the Juan Soto number is, and you might use some of that money that went to some of these other guys. There are it's in the box for Soto next year. That's why, as you and I have talked to Dodger fan on our live stream. You know, Dodgers are going crazy because of the fact that there's 11 veterans that are gone from this roster and some big money guys. Well, that box over there is for Shohei Otani. And some of that Justin Turner money and some of that Trey Turner money and David Price money, that's in the box already Mm -hmm. for Otani. So there's creative ways to do these contracts. So that's something that We'll have to watch. Okay, let's move on. Next question along the way here. Okay, this one's uh, from Ryan Kennedy, and he says, Do you think Fernando Tatis Jr. has realized he got a wake-up call after his long suspension, or will he go back to his old careless ways? He truly has a special opportunity that a lot of people would give their right arm to be in after a lengthy suspension. Well, item one, you're talking about the maturity level of Tatis, now age 24, no longer a kid, and has really gone through a bumpy road here. Uh, it's all on him as to who he hangs with, what he does away from the field, what he does in his offseason. The fact that he spent most of the offseason here after Peter Seidler and A.J. Preller told him, this is how you're doing business going forward. And then Seidler just he made this strong comment this this past week when he talked to the media for the first time. You know, Peter indicated that Fernando Tatis owes us. He has a responsibility to the organization, responsibility to the town, responsibility to the fans sitting along the third baseline. So I think they're putting a lot of public pressure on him that you will walk down this road straight and narrow. Now, that's that's the whole personal part. The professional, can he stay healthy? Uh, had a double and a home run in a, in a inter-squad game yesterday. He designates hits against the Giants on Tuesday. They will work him in slowly. He wants to play every inning of every game. They're not going to do that <laughs> because of the wear and tear factor. They're going to bring him along slowly. But he's done everything he can physically to come back from the wrist to him back from the shoulder. So we're talking, as it relates to Tatis Ryan, we're talking two different storylines. What is he like as a person going forward? He's got to change. Led to believe he has changed. What will he be like uh, as a player? Well, we'll find out April 20th when he actually gets activated back onto the open roster. And also keep in mind there's there's another angle out there. He's drug tested nine times a year now mm. because he is a, quote, felon under the baseball substance abuse program. So he cannot step off the straight and narrow because if he takes anything and he tests positive for anything, 
from cold medication to whatever stimulants might be out there, he's in bigger trouble. I don't think he's going down that road. So we'll see what he is as a person. And we have to wait till April 20th to really see what he's like as a player when he starts to play every day. Yeah, we're all excited to see him out on the field. But you had mentioned earlier that Tatis has made Manny a better player. But I bet you that Manny is teaching Tatis how to be a better man. And I think Nelson Cruz's impact, because they're you know they all come from the background of the Dominican Republic, and Cruz is really good clubhouse guy. He's not the player, obviously, he was in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and he's coming off a really substandard season. But he's forty-two years of age uh, with the Washington Nationals, but he has a history of being a strong guy, strong presence to young Latin players in clubhouses, and the Padres have got a bunch of them. So there there are people there that are going to be wrapped around Tatis, and hopefully Tatis will listen to them, talk to them, ask them questions along the way. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a great chemistry in that clubhouse that I think is going to make all of them better as individuals and collectively as a whole. I mean, this team is going to be a fabulous this year. It's going to be great to watch. we have any more questions here you want to throw we out we got here? a bunch of really good YouTube questions here. Uh, this one's from uh, Rowdy up in here, and, he, and he's talking about, you know, Bally Sports going broke, that whole thing. He said, Bally lost out on my money when they pulled from the streaming services, and now I stream it illegally. Well, I stream it <laughs> illegally, but A, you might get caught, B, you might get shut down, so... Yeah, uh, base, baseball's taking this thing under control. Uh, they've got six weeks to really set in place where they're going to go, how they're going to deliver the games to the markets, uh, what the fans are going to be able to access to, subscribe to, etc. This is this is a really complex issue, and that's why I haven't really gotten deep into how you, how you how you do the streaming and how you distribute it, etc. Baseball's got another problem because Warner Brothers AT and T, which is also a bidder on baseball rights, I mm-hmm. think they have six teams, including the Pirates that I know of. Uh, they've just announced they're getting out of the regional sports network, and they they have given. Their broadcast packages, AT&T is called. They're giving them back to the respective clubs. I think Kansas City, uh, maybe the Rockies, Mariners. I know the Pirates for sure. So base, baseball's doing a lot of stuff behind the curtain here because it, they, they got to solve this, this distribution issue going forward. And, you know, opening day is just around the corner. So uh, I, I think the negative right now is that these teams are taking a hit. They're not getting in rights fees from their regional sports network, what they used to get. For at least one year, they're going to bleed. And baseball is obviously going to get, I think they'll get this thing solved because they're smart people on Park Avenue in New York. Well, I just solved the problem for my family. I signed up for DirecTV today, um, and it was uh, the promotion was $89 a month. It's month to month, no contract. They try to sell me a box and a separate remote control for it. I was like, no, because it just sits on top of your internet connection like Netflix. So I'm going to be paying 89 bucks a month. And I think after three months, it goes up to $99. You know, they always get you. Um, but now I can get I can get it streaming because we cut the cord on Cox like three months ago. So um, there is a solution. It's pricey, you know, and you got to have a high speed Internet connection to make it work. Uh, So this is all this state of transition with technology. I think the dust will settle in the next couple of years. But Padre fans right now are wondering, where do I go? What's next? Well, Well, we'll try to pass more information along as it comes. I just trust the commissioner's office and his smart people they'll get this baseball thing resolved. Hey, listen, hope you've enjoyed our bonus coverage podcast on a Monday talking about the Padres and the whole Manny Machado story. Listen, we're here Mondays with bonus coverage. Our regular podcast is Thursday. Please subscribe so you'll get the alerts from whenever we're posting new things because we do things during every day of the week uh, on on our YouTube channel. And we invite you also to check my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. Please text, email, Uh, Tell your friends about what we're doing on our podcast and also what we do with our website. John, we'll see you Thursday, Mm -hmm. and we're marching towards opening day down the road. It's going to be good this season. Looking forward to it. Have yourself a great sports week. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.